There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy podcast with me, Alison Perry. My guest on this episode is someone that I've been dying to chat to for ages. And I'm so pleased that she lived up to the high expectations that I built up in my head. Christine Armstrong is a mum of three and the author of The Mother of All Jobs, in which she explores the difficulties that many women face when they become a mum and suddenly have this whole new balancing act to do, work life and family life. She tells me about her own experience of being pushed out of a job when she was about to return from maternity leave and how this led her to write the book and interview mums, dads, employers, caregivers, everyone that's part of this equation to find some answers. Christine and I also chat about how women getting equality in the workplace is only half the battle. We also need to work out who's doing the caring duties that women traditionally did. And of course, childcare options can be tricky to navigate and expensive. Even when your kids reach school age, the difficulty doesn't stop there. Christine talks about how the school day ending at 3 or 3.30 seems hugely outdated and doesn't fit in with the working hours that so many of us are doing. We only scratched the surface of this subject. There was so much more that we could have said. But have a listen, and then for a more in-depth look at it, get a copy of Christine's book, The Mother of Old Jobs. It's one of those books that you can dip in and out of, and I highly recommend it. Welcome, Christine. It is brilliant to have you on. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. So your book, The Mother of Old Jobs, it was published in 2018, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And reading it, I think the main message that came out of it for me is that us women, we've kind of screwed ourselves right over. I feel like we've fought to be able to work and have careers, but quite often there's no one filling that role of carer that we've shifted from. And we end up doing the job and the caring duties and juggling both. Would you say that's a fair? I would. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's exactly what um, somebody said, you know, about feminism in the 60s is that it was all about women not being constrained into these caring roles. But we never figured out who was going to do the caring if we didn't. And we never really signed up men, did we? You know, and some have come along, but a lot of them never really got the memo saying that if we weren't going to do it all, they'd have to do some. So um, so I think very, you know, a lot of the women that I talk to and interview and indeed a lot of the men, but for different reasons, are very frustrated with the way that things have turned out and, and quite cross about it so what would you say that what's your own experience been I mean you, you do talk about it in the book um but your your own experience of 
leaping from the world of work into motherhood and then having to, you know, having to kind of deal with both at the same time? Oh, it was a disaster. I mean, I was a total and utter moron and really, really just spectacularly stupid about the whole thing. I just, you know, I had this amazing, lovely job in advertising. I flew all over the world. I had great fun. I had a big network of professional sort of friends and colleagues and people that I just enjoyed being with. And I just thought I'd have a baby and that would all carry on, you know, and it would all be fine. And um, it just, it was a total car crash. And I, you know, I got pushed out of my job pretty quickly. And then I panicked and found another job, which was even worse in terms of hours and pressure and um you know I had a really really tough couple of years trying to work that out and that's what led me to write the book was that I couldn't make it work and all the advice I was getting was that if I got better childcare and worked harder that'd be okay and I was kind of lying on the floor at four o'clock in the morning not wanting to go to work so exhausted you know with a small baby thinking I don't know how to work any harder I don't know you know I don't can't get better childcare I've got the childcare I've got and it's great but that doesn't solve the problem that modern employers particularly in information-based jobs expect you to work 50 or 60 hours a week and that's what we've been trained to do and you can't do that with a small baby and also have a social life and a relationship and be happy yeah all of those things that as you know as women in 2020 we are um trying to do like ticking all those boxes it's it feels like a lot doesn't it it is a lot and I think um, for me you can't do all those things so then you have to be really honest about it and say right start again what matters you know how am I going to fix it but unless somebody's honest with you and tells you that it's not really going to work that well and you're going to have to make some choices then I think the risk is that we all just keep trying and we all blame ourselves and think well mm-hmm. it's clearly my fault I'm not trying hard enough I'm not working hard enough I'm, I'm not doing enough stuff to make this work I haven't got a long enough to-do list or a complicated enough expel spreadsheet of all the you know different things to factor in but the maths of it doesn't work does it we don't have that much time and we can't keep going at such a pace for a long time without you know giving ourselves a collapse really definitely another thing that you say in the book is that workplace the workplace just wasn't designed for women which really jumped out at me as something that kind of it felt like a real moment where I was like oh my goodness That's so true. It's almost like the whole entire workplace needs to be redesigned. Absolutely. You know, to fit to fit, you know, the modern world. Yeah, I mean, basically, we all have this kind of archetypal image in our head, which seems to be based in about 1963, which is, you know, Tiger who came for tea, daddy's out at work, mummy might be working part time or locally or doing a bit of admin at school or helping daddy's business or, you know, I don't know, sort of um, doing some tutoring or making curtains or something. This sort of <laughs> ridiculous kind of middle class idea, which which never, never existed. I mean, my nana was, you know, really working class and she always worked um, and she never you know I'm not quite sure how she managed children really but she always worked in kitchens and you know my granddad always worked but we always sort of had this idea that there's somebody at home all the time to look after children and um and then we've designed a workforce that a really uh, is fueled um, by very long hours cultures and huge amounts of information flow supported by all of our devices and being always connected and that being a source of our power is how much we know and how quickly we respond to things um, combined with women being smart and ambitious and academically successful and wanting to do interesting things not wanting to be at home you know with small children all of the time and but we just haven't really been honest I think about what it takes for that transition to happen properly and and you know what families are going to have to how the families are going to have to adjust if they do want to make a new way of working work 
Mm. And you mentioned smartphones and things just now. Um, how much yeah. do you think technology is helping us to juggle it all? Because obviously we can multitask and we can be at the playground with our kids and sending work emails and, you know, um, adding something to our online grocery shop, at, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. But yeah. also... It, does it is it making the problem bigger? Is does it mean that we can't switch off and that it's not just a nine to five job? It's actually we're checking work emails at ten pm. Of course we are. I mean we all do it, and and it's a nightmare. One of the things um, I did was to interview what I called uh, the grandmothers focus group. So I, I sort of got all these women who are who are grandmothers and they've either got sons or daughters with small children, and I said what's changed and. What was really interesting is that a lot of them said, look, you used to be at work and um, you'd work really, really hard and it was really intense. But come five o'clock, there wasn't a laptop and there wasn't a phone you could take with you. So when you had to leave for the nursery or the nanny or, you know, the childmind or whatever it was, you just went. And it was stressful. But when you were gone, you were gone. And if you then were at home doing homework or, you know, pottering around or seeing friends, you were present in that second space. And the problem is now that, A, we don't leave at five on the whole unless we've made special provisions. And then we take it with us. And so many stories, you know, trailing children around the supermarket while we were trying to do a conference call and hosting play dates and going mad with the kids because they're making such a noise and, you know, taking, trying to approve documents when the children are in the bath and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's just, you know, it means that we don't get the recovery time that we need from either the day or the intensity of small children, which, you know, can be draining and exhausting and boring and frustrating, <laughs> as well as delightful. You know, I'm not having a go at kids, but, you know, it is all those things as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, of course it is. Yeah. It's funny, though, isn't it? Because we're having this conversation, but the context of the year that we've that we've just, you know, that, we're, or that we are in right now, it feels like, you know, having a conference call while you're dragging your kid around the supermarket. That's been so many people's reality in the last, you know, the last few yeah. months. And yeah. more and more people are working from home and that the kind of the work world and home life have been intermingled in a way that it never has in the past, hasn't it? Yeah, but is that positive? And I think that there are positive things to come out of that, but there are also negative things. So one of the things that I talk about a lot is how the the promise of flexible work didn't really work out because one of the solutions that we were given to this overworked culture with these long hours and combining that with children was, okay, well, let's design a way we can work flexibly and work three days or four days or finish earlier or start later or whatever. And that was a brilliant idea and it was set up by lots of companies with good intentions. But when you studied it, when you interviewed the people doing it, they were very often very frustrated. Uh, they felt they weren't recognised as important internally. They didn't get pay rises. They didn't get bonuses. They didn't get promoted very often. Um, they uh, felt they were less important than their colleagues. But also, very often, they would tell you they couldn't turn off. So even though they'd taken off Friday, they'd still be on their email on Friday or still be expected to attend conference calls or come in sometimes when there was an important meeting. So it was well-intentioned, but it was really, really difficult to actually run. And I think what we've ended up with with lockdown is a part of flexible work. So if you think about flexible work as being a combination of where you work from. So we've changed the location of our work, which is massively helpful if you've got lots of drop-offs and pickups and you know you want to be near nurseries and schools, fantastic. But we haven't really changed the hours that we work. We've never really managed to find consistent ways to put in boundaries between home and work. 
And all the research we're seeing at the moment is that's much worse during Corona. People are finding that so much more difficult because work's always there and you don't even get up and put your jacket on and leave. Um, so, and also because people are working around children and other pressures, the day's getting longer. So some people are working at five in the morning and some people are working at nine at night. And if you're diligent, you end up working throughout that whole time on and off. So I think lockdown and, and its consequences are going to be far reaching. But they may, I think the positive might be that they have forced us to really think about our boundaries and, and maybe work harder at implementing them. When you think about the fact that obviously a lot of a lot of working parents have got uh, preschool children who are in nurseries, but then once they go to primary school, the primary school day is not compatible with a working day. No. Is, do you think that's part of the problem? Do you think that I we do. almost need a massive overhaul of all of this stuff because at the moment we've got you know that primary school hours have all have been the way they are for decades but yeah. you know has anyone actually stood up and gone hang on a minute guys should we really be stopping the school day at three thirty when the majority of parents are still you know heads down in an office yeah. somewhere and can't yeah. come to pick up their kids I think it's a really important debate and I would love it to be one of the things that comes out of lockdown because I think what lockdown has shown us is that education is part of our infrastructure that we cannot work effectively as a country unless our children are somewhere during the day being educated and that although teachers often don't like this message because they say well actually I'm here to teach not to do childcare," actually you can't separate them I mean just as you go to a restaurant for a meal but you also go to get out of your house and have somebody else do the washing up you can't separate those two things and the takeaway version of education well I think nearly crushed us in this house that's for sure so oh, it didn't same you know, here. Bl- bloody nice <laughs> wasn't it so um so I think if if there's one good thing to come out of it is perhaps a realization I wrote a piece in Sunday Times about this the other week that that education is really really important to our economic uh, output as well I mean our school is a state school but it's an academy trust and the head is really uh the founder is really inspirational she set it up uh with an 8 30 start to the school day and a four o'clock finish and that small difference is enormous because in a two-parent household if one of you does the drop and the other does the pickup you can do a full day and in a one-parent household actually you can get 90% of a sensible working day out of that rather than other local schools which are 9, 9, 15 to 3, 3, 15. So, um, so just that small change and we also have an hour in normal times of additional activities that you can pay for at the end of the day which could take you to five. So I think really small changes like that more widely could be hugely, hugely valuable. Yeah. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Before we go back to the chat with Christine Armstrong, I want to take a moment to tell you about Koru Kids. Founded in 2016 by a mum of two, Rachel Carroll, it's an incredibly clever solution to the childcare problems that so many of us face. Essentially, Koru Kids specialises in after-school and part-time childcare for kids aged between 3 and 10, and it allows you to book a nanny who can work the hours that suit you. This means that you don't have to hire a full-time nanny, which can be really pricey. The nannies are all vetted to a high standard. It's somewhat reassuring to hear that they only hire 10% of the applicants. And they're trained by Koru Kids in things like first aid, educational philosophies, homework, risk assessment and safety in the home. I don't know about you, but one of the things that's always put me off hiring a nanny is that usually you become their employer and that means having a load of extra admin to deal with. But brilliantly, Koru Kids covers all factors of nanny hire, including taxes, payroll, pension and holiday. It's a really easy platform to use. You type in details of your kids, your location and the kind of times that you'd be looking for a nanny and it shows you all of the nannies available in your local area. You can read their profiles, learn about their skills, job history and areas of speciality and then make a shortlist of the ones that you're interested in before doing interviews. Then you hire your favourite nanny for an ongoing or set period of time. Like so many parents, I've struggled to make childcare work in the past. Like I chat to Christine about, when my eldest was little, I worked in an office in central London and would often find myself running to make the train home so that I could collect her from nursery by the time it closed. So often, childcare options aren't compatible with our working hours, and for many of us, hiring a full-time nanny is a luxury that we can't afford. So, if you've got kids at school or preschool and like the sound of hiring a nanny to collect them, take them home, or even taking them to after-school clubs and activities, giving them their dinner, overseeing homework, playing some games with them, then Koru Kids is worth a look. Prices start at £13 per hour, and at the moment, Koru Kids are only operating in London. New customers can get £50 off with the code Alison50. That's Alison50. Just go to korukids.co.uk to see local vetted nannies in your area. What are the lasting effects that you think will happen in terms of the attitudes of, of uh, employers after the, the, this pandemic? I'm saying after the pandemic, like we think it's, we know it's definitely going to end. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. But as a knock-on effect to what's happened already, do you think that employers will start adjusting, um, you know, their protocol and their attitudes towards flexibility? 
I think so. I think in terms flexible flexibility in terms of where you work, I think has shifted really fundamentally. And I think it will, you know, William Hay calls it the great acceleration. I think it's speeded up this kind of slow moving pattern of us being able to work uh, away from central offices. And I think that that's really helpful and positive for loads and loads of people. I think what's really interesting about it, when you look at the data, it seems that about 27% of people never want to work in an office again. But then there's another 20% of people who never want to work from home again either. So I think there's sort of going to be a polarisation potentially of who works where. And maybe we'll come to kind of new understandings of how, you know, new patterns of how often we go in and how we interact. I think for families, what's really significant um, it will be what how this plays out in practical terms. So one of my fears is that if the people who start going back to the office are the people who can get on the early trains when they're still quiet or who drive, and bear in mind that in two adult households, in heterosexual couples, generally the car is sort of uh, run and managed by the man in the household. And if they have maybe a bit more space when they get to the office, it could be that what we see is that as offices do start to become more important again, that it's men who end up being there. And if you end up with an in crowd and an out crowd, the kind of important power, the people who kind of control the mechanisms of the office and, you know, what happens there and the ear of the bosses and the bosses and the bosses, bosses, bosses. Um, and then the large, there's a large unseen audience, um, a large unseen group of workers who are uh, working from home less visible perhaps and less influential that worries me a bit because mm. we could actually go backwards and we've already seen enormous um, changes in women's employment through the lockdown you know pregnant then screwed did a fantastic survey of 20,000 women that said that childcare was huge in women being made redundant over lockdown and being furloughed you know it's been really you know it's really damaged women already and my fear is that it could damage women more and particularly mothers I think the positive is it could allow us a moment to reflect and redesign things a bit but I'm not seeing this government really understanding the women the issue from the view of parents of young children certainly not women I mean even this rule about you know groups of six is just you know, a friend of mine, uh, a woman at school gate, she, um, she's got five kids. Okay, that's a lot, right? But that means she, due to staggered start time, she now has 10 start and finish times to get around her head every single day. And for somebody like that, I've got three kids, so I've got six. You know, the way we make that work when we work is to have a network of other parents who help us out. But I, with three kids, can't pick up other people's kids because I'll be out of my sixes before I know it. So it's just limiting our ability to get back to work and be able to be productive again. And, you know, grandparents, you know, going to be restricted. If you've got three kids, you can only have one grandparent around. And, you know, that's going to stymie people. So I think we're not understanding the consequences of this in really practical ways. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, it's almost like the government are really just really concerned on industry and the economy and not about not about women and families. I don't know why I'm I'm getting that impression, but it, I don't it's there. think they understand the link between the two. That's what mm. I that's what frustrates me. Yeah, is when I look at all of the people around me, whether they're mums or dads, they're all trying to combine a family with working, and it is very often the mums that pick up the slack. We know that from the data. Um, but in order to be able to work and to go into those offices if we've got no wraparound care we've got staggered start and end times and we can't double up by sharing each other's kids between us what the hell do you want us to do how can we do this 
Yeah. Um, what do you think can be done about the the big issue of guilt that mums feel? So when I think back to when my eldest was a toddler and I was working full time, well, actually I was probably working maybe three or four days a week and I was racing home. I was leaving work early and I was racing home to get her from nursery and I was feeling like I wasn't doing either thing well. I felt like I was being a bit of a rubbish employee because I was leaving early and maybe not being able to make the, the important meeting that was happening at 5pm and I was I felt like I wasn't being a great mum because I was at work for the the majority of the day and I just felt eaten up with guilt which feels like a really common scenario for so many mums yeah it is really common what what can we do about this because this feels like it's it's something that so many people are experiencing it is I think the people that I notice that, so my book's based on interviews, so I didn't want to talk from my experience. So I interviewed as many parents and also the supporting services, GPs, teachers, heads, nannies, you know, childminders, everybody that I could find on this subject. And what I noticed was the people who felt least guilt were people who'd been brought up to, uh, to not to have with certain expectations so often for instance um the daughters of immigrants would say well my mum came to this country and she worked in a factory and she looked after us and she thought it was really important that i had a professional career and was financially independent so i don't feel any guilt about working um i think it's part of what i have to do and i just have to balance those so they've really resolved it in their own mind with a role model that's said it's okay not to be there all of the time now if you grew up with maybe a mum who was always around and so you're comparing yourself to that structure that's likely to sort of think oh I'm not doing the way my mum was always there at the school gate and she always gave me a you know glass of orange squash when I got home and we'd have a little chat and I'm not doing that so I think partly we have to frame our priorities you know why am I doing what I'm doing what is the right balance for me and have I largely got that right if not maybe I need to think about changing it if I have then I think verbalizing that and having conversations about it is really important but it's very easy for me to talk about it in a sort of theoretical way these things are very internal they're very built into us aren't they um and I'm quite you know my mum did work and I'm quite sort of you know, okay, I'm very okay with working and all that, but you still have those moments where something goes wrong or, and you just think, oh gosh, I should have been there, you know? So I don't think we can wipe it away. You know, absolutely. That's really interesting hearing you saying that though, because, um, my, I grew up in a household where my mum worked full time and my dad worked, worked full time. Um, so you would think that I would very much have that attitude. And I wonder whether for me, it was like the influence of seeing other mums on Facebook and Instagram and social media and me building this picture in my head of the perfect mum and, right. you know, the, the crafting, the baking, all of that stuff. So I think that's probably where my external pressure has come from. That's really interesting. I mean, our networks, I mean, women's judgment of other women is harsh and it is, you know, that is definitely the case and men don't get the same judgment, do they? And that's the difference, I think, is that women hold other women to a higher level of account and that's definitely a piece of it. Um, So I, I don't know. Yeah, I think who you compare yourself to is really important. I definitely see a sort of backlash against the insta perfect thing i think we've seen that over the last year or two and people preferring to go to see accounts where people you know scummy mummies being a brilliant example but Mm. you know where things aren't perfect and feeling a bit better when we see that yeah i find myself looking at the insta perfect mums and thinking like 
is your life really like that? And if not, I really want to see the behind the scenes, you know, shots. I really want to see the reality. Because I, I, I just, I can't get my head around how people could live in that way, but maybe they do. And it's just... No, of course they don't. I mean, honestly, <laughs> if you've got time to dress up your children in perfectly ironed outfits and take stage pictures <laughs> them all over the place, you haven't got a proper job in my view. Um, no, all that is your job. And then just see it as a job. You know, that corner will have been vacuumed and cleaned and, you know, those artfully arranged toys and that hair and the kid will have had four tantrums between shoots. And, you know, we all know really what it looks like, but we just allow ourselves to be transported and think, oh, I I could have a nursery with muslin curtains and you know beautiful fairy lights and it would look amazing and of course it wouldn't because well it wouldn't in my house it'd be bloody untidy most of the time yeah but, you know <laughs> um now you mentioned earlier that you know women uh take on so much extra stuff i guess like life admin emotional labor it takes up a lot of women's headspace do you think that it's possible to distribute this evenly fairly between both partners in the relationship or is that just never going to happen I think it yeah I do think it is I've got quite a lot of faith in that um so what do I think I think again a lot of this comes down to role models so I had a very 70s feminist mother who did not teach me to clean and so um I pretty much panic at the sight of a large amount of mess I literally do not have the skills to solve it and um maybe because of that I married a man who's incredibly well ordered and very good at sorting stuff out so in our house I would say that there is a pretty fair distribution although he does a lot of the organizing or overseeing cleaning things because I'm not very good at it but then I do other things um I think it is something that if we could have more conversations about, particularly as we go into relationships and establish really good patterns. And I'd really want to talk to the next generation of women, you know, settling down now and say, get this right before you have kids. Don't try and fix it afterwards. Because I see a lot of women who meet someone, they have a role model of a mum who did do a lot of the cooking and cleaning and caring. And that's fine when they have a partner, but then they have one kid and two or maybe three and suddenly they are really feeling like a dog's body and he's like well it was always like this so why you know what's changed um and they're feeling very frustrated so the book that I always recommend on this is Eve Rodsky's Fair Play which is I a love fantastic book. book you yeah I mean I don't know if you interviewed her but she's I have yeah yeah she's so brilliant yeah she's fab so I would definitely refer to I, I always tell people to read her stuff even if her systems when I've interviewed people sometimes people are a bit like well they're quite American Mm. it's like even the awareness raising I think is really valuable even if you don't exactly have the conversations that she suggests yeah and I think that the the, the crux of her system is that you write down every single task every tiny task whether it's you know thinking about what goes in the packed lunch shopping for the packed lunch packing the lunch putting the packed lunch into the school bag you basically write down every single task and by making them visible it, it um, raises the awareness between both partners as to how much work is being done because it's all that invisible stuff that can build up and build up and build up. And even that in itself, even if you don't do the rest of her system, feels yeah. like a really helpful suggestion, doesn't it? Yeah, I think the expression, I don't think it's hers originally. I'm not sure, sorry, even if it is. But I think the expression is, you know, men's time is like diamonds and women's is like sand. Mm. Really resonates with me. I look at PTAs. I was up for a while, I was involved in a, a maternity ward liaison committee. And I was just watching all of these women's time being taken for free and just thinking, would men do this? Do men give away their time for free in the same way? I don't think that they do. And um, that's something I 
it's it really increases your awareness of what time you give away and what you spend on stuff yeah um now my husband is a a stay-at-home dad so I work full-time we've got twin toddlers he's a stay-at-home dad Mm -hmm. um but when I think about it I feel like there's still a stigma attached to men being a stay-at-home dad why do you think that is I just think it's cultural norms, isn't it? And I think there has been a massive adjustment. I mean, Chris, Chris did led on the parenting with us for a while. Um, and he used to, when he was asked what he did, he used to tell them he'd retired. Um, just because <laughs> if he's asked at a party or something, just because it, there is something awkwardness, awkward about it. And I really analysed that. I was like, why does he say that? Because it's slightly, you know, it's sort of funny, but it's sort of not true. Um, and I realised that it just made it a funnier conversation and it made it sound like more of a choice. And I think there's still a bit of an assumption with a lot of people that if dad's at home looking after kids something didn't really go well with their career you know it's a bit of a second choice which people don't tend to think about women that's so interesting because we my experience is the opposite that that I find that when I mentioned that my husband's a stay-at-home dad the reaction I quite often get is people assume that we must be very wealthy if we can afford for him not to work that you know the luxury of having the dad at home and actually the reality is that we we can't afford to have two small children in a nursery his his salary wouldn't cover it he's a teacher he's a primary school teacher so his salary wouldn't cover it and so this is this is the this is us like muddling through the best way forward and it works for us so that's really interesting which is what everyone's doing right Mm. and maybe because he's a teacher as well I mean that that's maybe that makes more sense to people I don't know um but anyway some dads have you know I've interviewed a lot of dads and a lot of dads who've chosen to be at home and they have experienced stigma they say you know they often feel that they're not included in the mum set Mm. Uh, they don't get access to the same information and whatsapp groups uh that socially they found it sometimes harder to find friends sometimes they have been signed up to the women's groups and then found themselves quite uncomfortable and sort of just quite not sure how to fit in you know all the mums are talking about it sounds really cliche but this is the example I was given you talking about the Zara sale and they're a bit like (laughs) what am I doing what am I doing here I I don't have anything to contribute to the Zara sale although I'm sure it's great um so I do you know it's still because of it because it's not a majority sport yet is it it's um it still can can be tough, but some dads love it, and there are great advantages for kids. Uh, loads of people who've done it say, you know, dads being involved, their kids have got, you know, their mo- the teacher told me that their motor skill, motor, you know, their big, what, what do they call it? They, you know, their minor motor skills and their major motor skills. That they tend to have really good uh, coordination. They tend to do loads of sport, be really active. They, you know, interested in different subjects. That it does really open kids up to new experiences, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So what is the solution? In your book, you set out a manifesto for successful family living, don't you? But it feels like no one yet has come up with the answer to how, how we fix this and how we get how we get this sorted. So I think I might know the answer, but I don't know how to get there. Does that help? Or is that a step forward? It, okay, so... I think it's a really big step forward. Please share. Okay. Well, it's a one word answer and it's ours. So I think our major problem is our hours culture. And that if we could work a sensible working day of seven or eight hours that was really quite fixed and that school could match that time. So during World War II, somebody told me that they changed factory hours because the women were working in the factories. Sorry, they changed school hours. The women were working in the factories because the men were at war and the factory shut 
shut at five and school finished at 3.15. So overnight, they changed school to end at five, so or 10 past five or whatever. So the women would leave the factory, pick up the kids and go home for tea. And that worked really, really well. And I kind of think we sort of need something similar to that. We need to say, look, the working day is this. And then we need to relax and unwind and change things. This is assuming you're working you know, in information economy uh, rather than shift systems anyway. But broadly, we need manageable working days that broadly match our access to childcare, whether it's school or nurseries. I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there, you know. I, I genuinely do think that that is the way forward. I don't think it's anything more complicated than that. And the fact that we, at the moment, idealise working 60 hours, 70 hours a week. And many of us do that. And we, many of us do it in our 20s or before we have kids. And like you said earlier, the fact that we've shown that the whole entire education system can grind to a halt and, you know, and then start back up for certain ages or types of kids and then fully start up again shows that we probably can be a bit more flexible than we think. I think we can. And even if that, even if, I'm not suggesting that teachers have to teach for that full time that we're at work, but, you know, if we can put clubs and activities that are fairly standardised, um, I, I think it would set an expectation that that is a normal working day. And if we could then be sort of efficient and well-organised, I mean, some of the books you read now, Near Isles writes about, you know, all constantly being distracted and that's part of why our hours have got out of control because we're always on email, we're always on instant message, Slack, you know, all these different processes. And, you know, I work with companies where people are saying, I was on a call yesterday and they were saying, you know, and I get incoming messages. I don't even know what platform they came in on anymore. Somebody's told me something. I don't know if it's on the Slack, on the email, on an instant message, on a, on a um, you know, text message. And I'm going through all these different platforms looking for this link or piece of information. And it's using up all of this time. And if we could streamline some of our practices that meant we could just go in, do what we need to do and then leave how much more energised and productive could we be? Definitely. I think it's one of those things as well, is that technology is almost, it's happened so gradually and it's infiltrated our lives, you know, so gradually that so many of us haven't taken a step back to say, right, what are my boundaries? How am I going to manage all of this information and all of these messages and all of this information coming at me all the time? Um, in a way that works for me we kind of just sort of let it wash over us and we allow it to control us rather than the other way around that's so true and one of the things I ask people a lot you know is you know if you get an email do you respond in an email or do you think what's the best way to deal with this particular question and almost everyone if they're honest says well if you email me I'll email back if you call me I'll call back you know we let other people set our communications mechanism and kind of our timelines as well we're not great on the whole at saying do you know what I'm really happy to talk to you but it's not my priority so you know I'm gonna get let's fix it in a month's time um we you know we tend to accept all of our incoming and not put the clear boundaries that we need to say you know this week's just not going to happen or you know I'm not going to respond by email because this needs a conversation so let's book that and and just taking a bit more active control of how we invest our work time definitely definitely um Christine this conversation has been enlightening in so many ways thank you so much and before we um, finish can you tell us where can people find you online if they want to hear more from you Oh, so um, I am at armstrongpartners.co.uk. I do a weekly blog on issues around work and work-life balance. Um, and it's usually quite humorous, but also trying to, you know, discuss some of the big issues going on since lockdown and so on. And I'm on Instagram at C Armstrong LDN for London and Twitter in the same place. 
fantastic. Thank you so much. Absolutely lovely to talk to you. It's been great. Thank you very much indeed. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.